Welcome to the Uzima Health and Wellness Podcast. What did the doctor say? Hey, how you doing? All right, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm well, doing well. You ain't changed a bit. Hey, you know, just out, you know, just a little bit older. Other than that, I'm, 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 right. I'm about to say. You looking like your people, looking like your mom and your daddy. <laughs> <laughs> how they doing? Uh, well, you know, sadly, my mom passed away. When? She passed away. Um, that's been about five years now. Oh, God bless her. Really? Yeah, she Aww. passed away. And uh, uh -huh. dad is doing well. Okay. He's working at the office. Actually, my mom and dad were working at the office, but mm -hmm. uh, my daddy's working at the office. I saw him today. That was the last okay. person in the office with me. But uh -huh. he is doing well. He is doing your well. Office? Mm -hmm. It is right across the street from, well, I don't know if you remember how much you remember the, the this area, but across from across the street from Southeast Memorial. So, uh, which is kind of like at the Beltway and I-45 on that mm -hmm. south end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So right there at Beltway and I-45. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, I just moved there about two years ago. Mm -hmm. And before that, I was on Bay Area Boulevard where next to no, Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. so much growth, so much growth and congestion over there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so uh -huh. I was blessed enough to purchase my own building. Oh, and, okay. Uh, yeah, so, you know, and it's not as crowded, not as busy, and I'm directly across the street from the hospital. Wonderful. Of course, I haven't walked in there, you know, but, you know, <laughs> but you're in a I'm more in a more medical circle versus retail. Right, you know? right, right, right. So they can and find so, you. And you're exactly. also more in the Houston area, right? You're in the more in the Houston area, right? Yeah. Down. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, how's your wife? She's well. She's yeah. well. She speeds, speeds, right? She's a pediatrician, mm -hmm. right? All mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. She's doing well. She's doing well. Um, just uh, she just got a COVID shot, and um, yeah, I get I'll get one tomorrow myself. Yeah. Me too. Me too. So yeah. yeah, I am here doing my thing. I hope you had a chance to look at the website. I just, you know, I'm trying to keep, you know, in my public health realm. And what, um, huh? What's your website? Napoleon. Myuzima. Uh, I'm sorry. Go to yeah, myuzima. www.myuzima. M y u z i m a. dot com. I'm gonna tell you. Hold on. M www.myuzima.com. Now I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I I've been so stupidly busy. I know it. I'm not fussing with you. I'm not yeah, fussing yeah, with so you at all because I have to. I have to direct people into the project. It's no problem. We're building. I'm building the brand, and that's why I reached out to you, Ron. You find it? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. So you see, go to the interviews. So uh, Ron and I, like I said, we teamed up, and um, I was able to get him to do three interviews with me. Um, and of course, naturally thought of you. You know, we we actually came and we met in Annapolis and did one of those interviews uh, while he was on here seeing his son. And, uh, you know, the project just ended up being such a beautiful thing that, and a needed thing uh, that I decided to keep going uh, because, you know, it, it came out of this need to comment on public health. Uh, you know, when they say, oh, black folks dying of COVID, black folks dying of COVID, right? 
And, you know, they kept wielding these words about public health and health disparity, but there was no, you know, thought about solutions or integration of other issues that are going on now. And we see uh, one of the biggest issues um, is about the school and children, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you go to uh, the feature tab, uh, I started off just wanting to write an essay. And then I was like, Kendra, uh, the, the way this world works now, uh, they're on to the next topic. So how are you going to get somebody to read your thoughts? So I, um, I said, okay, fine. I'll try to find a space. And then uh, luckily I met a, a dynamic sister who uh, builds websites for the African-American Museum. And so we just kind of thought of this concept of an online magazine and commentary, right? Okay. And so then we dressed it up and then we was having the riots. So I did the black men page. And uh, that was my answer to the killing of George Floyd where we, we kind of see this narrative of black men always being shot always being uh, uh, abused, you know what I'm saying? But we never see brothers like you who are successfully married, husbands, you know what I'm saying? And you've been at this, is, you know, you've been a husband and, and, and devoted family man all the days that I've known you, you know what I'm saying? So, so, you know, with your story, where are you in the narrative that the media puts out? They wouldn't even believe you existed. Yeah. You know, do, you, yeah. do you feel that way sometimes? Uh, well, all the time. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, Ron Bailey, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know you. Uh, and like I said, yeah. this ain't nothing new for you. I mean, when we met, like I said, at UTMB, that's almost 20 years ago, right? And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, so you know, that was 98. Exactly. So, um, so I kind of thought, you know, while the media's like, oh, yes, gun violence and black men being shot and killed, but there are other black men out here, okay? Yeah, and, and, it, so, and it ain't just me and Ron Bailey. It's, it's, it's <laughs> exactly. It's a lot, and that's why I started getting pictures of my friends' husbands and and leaders in, in the uh, black community. Um, and so I have a special relationship with Dr. Adams, the Surgeon General, because I met him at NMA. And so um, you know, he and I have been talking. We always talk about public health. We had a nice event for him. You know, it's been a difficult administration to work for. You know, but I remember. Dr. Adams, you know, coming through the NMA, you know, and 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 uh, and talking to us. Um, so that's the ad, Dr. Adams that I know and appreciate. So we have a special friendship, and um, and so when all this public health, da da da, public health, and people dying, black people, you know, I just wanted to talk about it. I just really wanted to, and I think what's refreshing is. Um, as a physician, not just talk about oh, you know, an apple a day keeps the doctor away, but can we? actually offer some social commentary. You know, are we allowed to say, this is the way we feel that medicine is going? And you know, sometimes, uh, you know, we just wanna raise our kids, family. I, I, I raised my sister's son. I, you know, my sister was in Houston at Prairie View when I was in medical school. So she oh, had okay. yeah, so a residency. So she had a uh, child while she was in college. So he's been living with me since he was 12. So my, um, interest in adolescent psychiatry peak because I had to do uh, a lot of testing uh, to see where he was academically. Um, and, uh, you know, we have, uh, as they say, thugged it out <laughs> with some <laughs> support. Uh, but it was new for me to have a 12-year-old and a Black male child that is now 19 and will soon be 20 uh, and will enter Georgetown. 
Okay. Okay. And so, uh, you know, so I have now been able to basically say, yeah, I, I get what parents go through and the fear when you watching your child change, you know, getting taller, getting, and, and they starting to go out in the world at night without you. And you start to get that feeling. Did I, did I tell them everything they needed to know, you know? Um, so those are some of the things that, you know, like I said, that I have experienced and I can say that, 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 that parenting job is rough, ain't it? <laughs> yeah yeah we have one daughter she is 17 but you know those realities are, are starting to you know are well taking place of having to know that you are black yeah where is she going to school where she went to, where do you put her in school she's at clearbrook right here in the area she's mm -hmm. at public school and mm -hmm. she's between going to prairie view versus uh north carolina a and t mm -hmm. or her main two I think a third is Xavier, but uh, she wants to do engineering. Okay. And that's her main interest. So uh, probably Prairie View or A&T. And it really comes down to who offers the money. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's really down. You know, the thing is her her uh, having to know, well, knowing and acknowledging that you are Black, you know, and that this world is not fair. Uh, I mean, you do, I would say, do I risk, you know, it's funny, you know, one being a black male you you worry about a black man and me being one myself and growing up but you know for black women it, it ain't a you know it's still a lot of a lot of you still got to be afraid and um of of law enforcement and just how you're perceived and and she's even had problems like that in school really? you know our teachers say that she seems to have uh, a poor attitude or I'm like she has a bad attitude but ease and conduct explain what what are, what are you seeing you know what why would she have an e and conduct but have a bad attitude I could well, imagine the child being very confident because she comes from two very confident parents I mean yeah, is that yeah what they see? they're they, they're interpreting it as a bad attitude yeah well you're not smiling you know you're not making us feel, you're not working to make us feel happy and comfortable. Uh -huh. and, and in her mind is is that I think I'm I'm sitting here like everybody else. I, mm -hmm. I don't understand. <laughs> you know, I don't see nobody else just smiling. It's funny. I, yeah, but you know that you need to assume your role in the room to make sure that mm -hmm. we we are comfortable with you. You know, and so, you know, but now you know you you see it happen. Um, in multiple aspects in this racism issue and mm -hmm. and these kids growing up you know honestly i felt like i had some safety mm -hmm. with being with growing up in a black community mm -hmm. i had safety from racism and when i say that i wasn't running into people who were racist because mm -hmm. i was in the, i was around my people most of the time 95 where did you, up, where did you grow up where did you grow up in houston sunnyside south park right. Iron clark right so you went to where you went to what school I finished from Willow Ridge out of Missouri City. Right. right. So the same thing. I went to, you know, I lived in South Park. My whole community was black. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So again, yeah, we felt very comfortable with who we were, who our parents were, what they did. And when I went to the high school for health professions, I mean, I interacted with black children who were of a different um, social economic scale, but I never felt like this need to again be you know do something extra in the classroom i was allowed to be who i was um yeah. so yeah 
Do you think that's uh, your daughter feels a different pressure because you're in a you know a mixed community or more predominantly white community? I I I definitely say so. You know you know I didn't I would say she's running the things that I never saw. And when I say never saw, well when your teacher is black, your classmates are black, you know your church is black, the stores you go to are black. <laughs> I mean I had a friend that came home with me from uh, PV for spring break. And everywhere mm -hmm. we went was black. We went up to TSU and a few other places. <laughs> Got some fridges like, he, Yeah, he was like, I didn't know Houston was a black city. And I, at the time yeah. it wasn't. And I was yeah. like, you know, it, it, it wasn't a black city at the time. Piece of may have been 25% black, 20% black back in the nineties. Uh, and I was really like, I, I really don't know where the white people live. <laughs> Look, look, it wasn't until I went to um, Agnes Scott College in Atlanta that I was like, you didn't go to school with white people. Like, like the, the people I thought were white were actually Hispanic. Yeah. You know? yeah, and, yeah. I was like, uh, yeah, she was like, no, no, I'm, I'm not white. I'm, I have blue eyes, but I'm not white. And they would t let you know that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I'm, um, I'm going to ask you, I think everybody wants to be curious. You know, I was um, um, psychiatry. Why did you pick that specialty? I mean, you were different. Like I said, when I met you, I was like, this brother's going into, and you were very clear. I'm going to do adolescent psychiatry, which is, mm -hmm. and tell us how you, uh, what the training is. Well, in order to become a uh, child and adolescent psychiatrist, I was, you go to medical school. And so many times people will confuse what is a psychiatrist versus a, versus a psychologist. Mm -hmm. And so um, the thought is, Psychologists have a PhD many times and a psychiatrist has an MD. So you have to go to medical school, which means that really you need to be a good student in high school, need to be a good student in college. And really to be a good psychiatrist, you really need to be interested in people, you know? And so I would say my exposure to mental health was quite young. I know my mom would make the joke that if the family would have been, would have had heart issues, I would have been a cardiologist. Mm -hmm. So the fact is that I was exposed to mental health inside the home. My grandmother was schizophrenic, mm -hmm. but she was a very functional, loving, caring individual who, oh. who also would hear voices and things of that sort. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I went to medical school and you would see people who were struggling mentally, honestly, to me, I wanted to run to them, you know, but right. a lot of my peers wanted to run from them. And I just thought that some people heard voices and sometimes may act a little different or erratically or may, may misjudge or misread a situation, but they're still just regular old people who, who do things a little bit differently. And so that, that was always my interest. Now, when it came to adolescent health, um, it was just, you know, I'd done some work as a, a high school teacher, a substitute teaching. Um, between undergrad and medical school. And I think that probably grew my interest in that particular area. Uh, but, you know, the fact is that I trained in child and I, I liked treating young kids as, just as much, you know, and I was really surprised to find out that, you know, helping five or six year olds, albeit 15, 16 year olds, uh, was just as rewarding. And then also you have even, I've done some nursing home work and all of that. So I see the full spectrum. I still have an interest in that uh, middle age there uh, of uh, adolescence, early adulthood, but all ages. And really all of us are on developmental stages. Mm -hmm. Everybody's in a developmental stage, be it five or 55 or 85. We're all in our different phases in life. Mm -hmm. And so uh, trying to help people make sure that they attain all that they can be 
you know, treating mood issues and depression and bipolar and erratic behavior, uh, sadness, feeling down, a lot of anxiety right now. Um, seeing a lot of anxiety with uh, your, your students, uh, those who are going to high school, fearing getting ill, fearing bringing it home and getting folk ill there, those who are isolated at home, uh, not being able to be around your friends and congregate, all of those things are really going into the situation right now, which makes even, you know, my love of what I do even more, you know, trying to help people cope mm -hmm. with everything that's going on. My question is, and I'm going to ask you the same thing that I asked Ron Bailey, and since you have a history of uh, seeing mental health up close and personal, are we getting better as a nation in helping people deal with mental health issues? Are you, I mean, I, I want to, and then the, has there different, been a different perception of mental health in Black families? We you know, we, we tend to think of it as something like, I think it's interesting that you said your grandmother was able to be in your home. Um, I know someone else whose daughter has it and she's not able to be in her home. She's just, she really has severe schizophrenia. Uh, we hear the dramatic stories in the papers where um, to, uh, these people, uh, schizophrenic patients have lashed out uh, violently. So that's a very interesting uh, uh, thing that you had a, you were able to experience a grandmother. I think that's precious. Um, so was there something different about her care versus now? And are we getting better with mental with the mental health system? I would definitely say we're getting better. So I mean, just like with everything else, you know, technology and advancements and all of that continue to, to con continue to occur and grow. Now, the thing about mental health is that. You know, it's like if you do this, this, and this, we call that schizophrenia. We call this bipolar, this depression, and this anxiety. Realizing that when you're looking at schizophrenia, some would even say that you're seeing up to eight different types of disorders that we're lumping into the framework of being schizophrenic. All right. Mm -hmm. So having a psychotic disorder with uh, psychotic disorder with erratic behavior, confusion, and mm -hmm. oddly enough psychosis is thought to be a thought disorder, not something dealing with hallucinations, but a difficulty in the way you think and process information, mm -hmm. even though the hallmark is hearing voices mm -hmm. or bizarre behavior. So, you know, so it could be very different from one person to another. I know I have patients who are schizophrenic who, you know, who, who have to live in facilities uh, in order to be safe to themselves and to others. And then I have other patients who are schizophrenic who are doctors, you know, or who are accountants or, or other uber professionals where their symptoms of schizophrenia are very controllable with medications. So when somebody tells me they're schizophrenic or I have to make that particular diagnosis, I really don't know the outcome on day one because you're hearing voices. Well, if you respond to the medication and you go back to a normal level of functioning, you look no different than anybody else. But when you're off your medications, you know, within a week or two, they go back to being non-functional. So, you know, that is schizophrenia, but then you also have those who can be violent or aggressive mm -hmm. or very bizarre or who will stop eating. You know, all of those issues can, can occur as well. And so it's really about really more so how severe the symptoms and what is your ability to respond to med medication treatment. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, so which which is the ability to access service, access services, mm -hmm. uh, the ability to have, you know, insurance uh, and the willingness of the individual to try to get better. 
realizing that I do know people who do all that they can do and they still struggle with this illness mm -hmm. despite accessing every resource that they have. Mm -hmm. oh, Napoleon, let's slow it down and tell me where you went to uh, college, medical school, and you said you did some teaching in between and your residency, and then you've been a solo practitioner. And mm -hmm. so tell me that from the start. And then I want to ask you about your uh, experience with uh, adolescent psychiatry okay. specifically. Well, you know, I would say my, you know, my educational start south side of Houston, Sunnyside, South Park, <laughs> South Acres, Hiram Clark, Alameda Plaza, you know, <laughs> all of that south side, you know, um, yeah. Houston. Then we moved out to Missouri City, uh, where I finished from Willow Ridge High School. From there, I went to Prairie View and University. And oddly enough, I started working on, a, I graduated in three years, and I started working on a master's, and um, but then I got accepted in medical school. Hmm? Your major, what was your major, sorry. My major, major was biology, major Bio. in biology, minor in chemistry. I started working on a master's in, master's in environmental toxicology, and it's going to sound crazy, but I accidentally graduated early. I did not realize I was about to graduate, and so over the summer, I saw that I only had one class to take for the fall. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I might as well take that in the second summer session. It was like a Spanish class. Mm -hmm. So because I had nothing to do in the fall, mm -hmm. I applied to the master's program, mm -hmm. applied for a grant, got a grant, mm -hmm. um, and I got a job on campus working mm -hmm. as an assistant dorm director, mm -hmm. which is a very easy job to do. Mm -hmm. And so um, when you got, when you, we don't have to play for food or lodging and you got a little bit of money coming in, you, I'm pretty much rich at that point, working <laughs> on my master's. And then, uh, then I applied to medical school and I got accepted. So I told my master's program I wouldn't be completing. Um, and then I, in that time off between my master's and medical school, mm -hmm. for about six months there, I worked as a substitute teacher in Fort Bend mm -hmm. ISD, mm -hmm. uh, you know, south, southwest side of Houston, right outside in the suburbs there. And then from there, I, I went and did medical school at Meharry Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee. And then I did uh, residency and my fellowship at University of Texas Medical Branch at Galveston for both adult psychiatry and then child and adolescent fellowship after that. So since that point, point I went straight into private practice, uh, started a solo practice by myself. Yeah. Um, you know, my family, my mom was my office manager, God rest her soul. And, um, and, and, and we grew it. And at one point we were up to, up to, uh, um, 11, um, between psychiatrists, therapists, and nurse practitioners wow. We had a very large operation going at one point. Wow. I did decide to get smaller. And so now it's four people now, uh, I'm the only, um, full-time individual, but it's one of the psychiatrists and two other therapists mm -hmm. and, and, and we're doing, we're doing well. So I've been in private practice my entire you know professional career as a medical doc uh anywhere from individual to to, to large group and mm -hmm. now i'm at about a small to medium-sized group at this point how many years has it been now it has been 17 years 17 years okay so when you talk about adolescence there are some some terms that i didn't know uh existed and they are executive functioning mm-hmm uh that's not what we called it when i was in school um and this um phrase um you know can mean different things like like you were talking earlier 
but when we're talking about kids, is that the catchword that you will usually see that makes someone enter into some type of counseling or therapy session? And then when would they need to see a psychiatrist? Where do you see children need to see a psychiatrist? Well, I would say that, you know, essentially the difference between, you know, normal and mental health, mental illness is a fine line. And that's really based upon when do you have impairment? Okay. So essentially you can hear voices. If you're not impaired, it's not a mental health issue. Right. So when, when we talk about executive functioning, it seems like to be a buzzword as of late. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and when you're looking at adolescents, um, it, it's tricky on how, how people intention it. For example, as a normal part of adolescence is uh, the growth and development of the frontal lobes of the brain. So this is the part of your brain that says what to do versus what not to do. Mm -hmm. Go here, do this, stop this now and go and do that. Mm -hmm. Well, this is the last part that develops. So I basically call it, it's called like the go, no go or stop go, mm -hmm. you know, but the last thing to develop in, in adulthood, which is not until about 23, 25, is what not to do, mm -hmm. all right? Mm -hmm. So as children, an eight-year-old from, from three to eight, normally your system of what is right and what is wrong is based upon the family that you grew up with, all right? Mm -hmm. What mom and daddy do, older brother, sister do, you consider to be right and wrong, according to what the family dynamics are. Mm -hmm. Now, when you get to adolescence, your, goal, your, your system of what is right and wrong tends to be basically focused on the type of people that you hang around. Mm -hmm. All right. So your peers become the larger influence. Mm -hmm. So oddly enough, when you see an adolescent, it's rare for an adolescent to get in trouble by themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was by myself and I got into big trouble. Typically doesn't go that way. It normally takes the second adolescent, two of them. Mm -hmm. And at that point, the, they, they start to influence one another in the decision making. Mm -hmm. Now, as you become an adult, you, you have your own kind of stopping apparatus of what not to do. This is dangerous, this can get us in trouble, and this is where at the point where I stop. And that's part of executive functioning when it comes to normal, um, normal adult development. But then there's another part of executive functioning, functioning that's important during this time because of growth in your, your life, schooling, and career, mm -hmm. where essentially uh, you make good grades because your parents told you to, but sometimes when you have like symptoms like ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, you're, you're able, the parent is able to stay on top of what a third grader needs. Mm -hmm. But it becomes more difficult for a parent to stay on top of what an eighth grader needs because they start to have more things going on. Mm -hmm. By the time your child is in high school, junior, senior year, mm -hmm. it's very difficult to control the, the adult schedule and the child schedule at the same time. So therefore the child needs to have executive functioning to be able to prioritize, organize and plan out their own day. Mm -hmm. So I tell people executive functioning is like the executive secretary and that the CEO knows how to do the job, right? But the executive secretary is the one who sets the plan. Mm -hmm. You set the schedule, you, you know, like we have a, we have a, a meeting at nine o'clock, the day starts at eight, Mm -hmm. So essentially for the meeting at nine, I've got to make sure that the stuff is together the day before because I can't get to work at eight o'clock and get every, everything ready for the nine o'clock time. All right. Or as we're working on, you know, a project, we got a test on, we have a test on Monday, 
we have a game on Friday, all right? And we've got a paper due on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So the fact is that in order to get everything in pre preparation before the weekend, I've got to knock some of this stuff out in order to get this other part done. And so as you move into adulthood and you move into college, now you lose the protections of the home and the mom and dad's ability to organize. And now you have to do all that yourself. So, you know, essentially, I, you know, I go to school, I'm at Georgetown, but Howard has their homecoming coming up. <laughs> Homeboy's coming down from Hampton because of the Howard Hampton game. And I have a test on Monday. Mm -hmm. And I ran out of clothes and I have no clean underwear on Thursday. <laughs> all right. So essentially, I've got to plan all of that out so that I can execute having fun with my friends, making sure I have, I, you know, that I, that I got my drip going. You know what I'm saying? So I'm looking good over the weekend. Yeah. And I got to make sure that I plan for my 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 my, you know, my major project or exam that's due April. on Monday. That requires a lot of executive function to get that done. And so often we'll be in the mindset, there's a party going on Friday. That's where my focus is going to be. So bam, everything else gets dropped by the side. Mm -hmm. Test shows up on Monday. And next thing you know, I have difficulty. I'm looking at, do I need to withdraw from this class? Because I didn't plan out things correctly. And that's where executive functioning comes through in developmental levels and growth. Well, this is the problem that we're having. When you describe it, it makes total sense. When moms are being called about their black sons at age, maybe about third grade, that magic number nine, and they're told your kid is not on task. Uh, your kid can't keep up. He has low executive functioning at nine. I mean, the, I mean, what you're describing is the 19 year old, yes, they're saying, oh boy. And their executive skill set is being tested but how are we to, I mean, have we gotten to the point now where we're expecting that a nine-year-old kid, particularly minority children, uh, are being looked at as if they're supposed to have this skill set. And I think you brought up, brought up a, an interesting fact about uh, children between three and eight looking at their home life and beginning to set patterns for themselves. So maybe at that magic age of nine, and if your home life has been erratic, and it doesn't mean that you've been on a lower socioeconomic scale, okay, let's make a distinction. It's not just poor people uh, mm -hmm. that I'm trying to say, oh, y'all don't have a good home life. What I'm saying is if your home life has been maybe without a schedule, because you got busy parents, you know, two people working, you know, to afford certain things, uh, at nine, your child is now being told, He's not on task. And we are seeing that with black children uh, from my own survey and things that I've read more often than um, white children at that age. Yeah, well, we got to take a close look. I mean, there's so many things that go into that powder keg of trying to say a diagnosis at the age of nine. You know, uh, one, you don't want to miss a mental health issue that could be going on. All right. right. So, you know, that can be, you know, ADHD and things of that sort, where essentially as you move further in school, it's difficult for your, you to make up the difference of not being a tenant, you know? So 
And oddly enough, to me, this, this, you know, this differentiation of this is executive functioning versus the rest of that is not. Normally, it, it, it's a, your brain is connected in multiple different ways. So multiple things can impact your ability to lock in and focus in on, on what, you, what you need to do. So far as maybe it's a very busy kid, you know, you know maybe they don't have enough time to focus on one particular thing because they have a lot going on. Maybe you have very busy parents. Uh, I know for kids, you know, they can have a very heavy workload, especially from your higher socioeconomic families who want kids to perform on a higher level and they have higher expectations. Uh, that can sometimes be difficult to keep up with. Uh, I, I've seen, you know, say going out, going to school in these in the suburbs, you know, looking at my my own child. There, you know, she's in upper level classes, but also we're doing band. All right. So we expect, you know, dad was a musician. So and the family is a family of musicians. So you expect to do well in band, but also the family played sports, you know, so you're expected to do well in soccer and track and everything else, as well as be a top academic student taking the toughest classes at your schools in the toughest program in the district. So sometimes we could be weighing too much on, on, on a child. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to look at adequate sleep. You know, sleep affects executive functioning, uh, adequate diet. But then the last thing I'll add to that is you got to look at the, uh, the, the, the issue of, of race and how people perceive an individual. You know, sometimes people can lock in on a kid and just believe that something must be wrong because of the kid's skin color. So you, you have these, these, these different forces that can be pulling on what is, you know, uh, what is considered to be right versus wrong or what is considered to be an executive functioning issue versus there's a teacher just kind of keying in on me. Mm -hmm. and taking you know a, a overly close look but we don't want to miss things that we can correct you know so far as helping the child become more organized setting a schedule for the child making it easy to know what expectations will be you know organizing the folder to make sure that this is the work that's you know your homework this is what's due tomorrow things of that sort uh this is what is you know helping them be able to set that organizational skills up at an early age and then communicating with the teachers as well what, you know, so let me know what's going on. What is your expectations? And what do we need to do in order to correct what you find to be to be an executive functioning issue? Hmm. Um, I've seen where schools will say that somebody has a problem and they may not have a problem, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So if we believe, you know, so we there's testing that we can do. Sometimes you can want to do it in school. You can do it outside of school to get that looked at. But, you know, you know, but you do as, as we as people, as black people, we always have to look through everything that we see in America through a lens of race. Yes. Like, is this truly an issue going on or is this a truly uh, some other subject, some some other issue? Uh, is it truly something going on? Is it a blind or is it a blind spot by the teacher that they're seeing something that may that may or may not be there? Two things. Number one, you said help your kids, okay? Because some parents get really resentful that their kid is not able to do some things. And I've even seen that during my pediatric and family medicine days, that they are very aggravated and the child has an unreasonable expectation, okay? And then that comes back to, you know, trying to have uh, parents uh, learn how to parent uh, you know, and, and, and you, you, you certainly mentioned your grandmother and I, I had a grandmother, uh, that again, I'm telling you these, them, some, those, those old grandmothers were saints. Okay. They, they could just, 
They just work miracles. I, I call them the, uh, the original No Child Left Behind program. Um, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, they can make any child do anything, like behave and do, their, do things. Um, so helping uh, a kid when you even think that they should be able to do something, setting uh, expectations for behavior in the home, uh, and then realizing again that we do have to, uh, although we have to look at things through race, we do have to then step back and and take some get some objective feedback so that we can help our child, which leads to what you're talking about now, testing, and how black people may view when you say I think your child needs to get tested, and those are usually some sometimes can be very um, uh, uh, fighting words as we say. Uh, you tell me my child need to be test tested for what? And here comes you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know what, what's odd about this testing issue is that so often I see where we as a people will fear testing. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. But oddly enough, if there is something going on that needs to be addressed, address it early so that it Oddly enough, you could many times you can get these issues to to resolve themselves with some mm -hmm. with some training, but also when it comes to testing, especially but it also will tell you that something is not going on. That's what I'm trying it to say. Also tell you that that that, that there is nothing there. Right. right, right. But then also you're looking at um, it's so much. You know, I'm trying. My head is wants to get out, but I've seen where, and I would just say I'll say white parents. All right just not not to do a catch-all but white many white parents mm -hmm. want their child tested and want their child to receive special services mm -hmm. because there are specialists in special services mm -hmm. there are a lot more resources that you can receive through the mm -hmm. school district if your child is in special services now like tell me why. Where, hmm? why do we have a uh policy an educational policy see see you just touched on something we think that testing will put our kids out of the game, but you're saying it, white parents are informed that if I get my child tested, they get this, 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 and this. And that's also something I found out. So we, we have a myth there that is that needs to be clarified. So go ahead. Well, that can be racism in anything that happens in America, right? You right. know, that we know that to be true. But the fact is that, say, for example, you saw with the college, those, that college issue where the white kids were trying to get into top schools. Right, right, Where right. they found that a lot of the kids had said they had some mental health issue or some learning disability in order to boost their scores, or get special accommodations for schooling, for education, for even um, testing on, on the highest level as taking a medical board exam. You know, you give the student more time. Mm -hmm. Because I have this diagnosis, they say that I, I have a paper saying I have issues with executive functioning. So instead of having the say, I don't know, the bar exam, which is 200 questions, and you got to answer 200 questions an hour and a half. Well, because of my paper here, it says that I get to have as long as I want to take that bar exam, <laughs> which gives you an advantage. Mm -hmm. Or because you, you've gotten these services, now you have somebody working with you to give you other skills on how to learn. For, for example, I didn't realize that I have some issues with learning myself. I found that out in medical school where if, and a, and a teacher pointed this out, that they said that, listen, we noticed that if we ask you a question in double, double negative, like none of these things mm -hmm. are correct, except You're right, you right. missed every question uh -huh, uh huh. On this test, mm -hmm. so essentially you got a seventy-eight on the test. But I noticed if you would have got, 
you know, so if you'd have got the the, the percentage of these that you missed right, mm -hmm. you would have had like an 86. Right, right, right. And so I had to learn by going to the uh, uh, student counseling um, center where they where they work with you academically on how to work through that particular type of question. Right, right, right. Yeah. So same. after I learned how to do that, then those questions stopped being wrong. Right. That gave me another four about four or five points per test. Right, so, right, right. Same but thing. if I did not access access services, mm -hmm. and it's sad that I was in medical school in my second year before I, I knew this. <laughs> All right. So, but. The thing is that it helped with me taking board exams. Right, correct, correct. So which which my strategy was, because I have difficulty with this particular question, I skip this question, move on to the next one. Right. And then right. I go back mm -hmm. so that I'm not being slowed down. I don't want to miss, you know, I don't want to run out of time and miss seven questions at the end of the test where I got to fill in B mm -hmm. because there were four questions that I can't process it quick enough. The other thing that we don't pay enough attention to that I've been reading more about, and, and I don't know how much time we have, but the issue of, well, how do you best say it? The language issue that is different between blacks and whites. Hmm. We communicate English differently. So when they say you have a difficulty with executive functioning, the question is, are you having issues with the written word or with the verbal? Because mm -hmm. oddly enough, you can actually listen to a, a two valedictorians. I remember looking at a study like this. They did a study on valedictorians, one black valedictorian versus white, I mean, black valedictorians versus white ones, mm -hmm. and their speeches that they gave for graduation. Mm -hmm. And you can look at the speech pattern and tell who was black and who was white. Well, anytime mm -hmm. you're doing testing in the United States, it's going to be based upon an upper middle class, Northeast white verbiage. Mm. Now, we grew up on the south side of Houston. That's right. All right? Yes. So essentially, the languages that we speak is what we learn from where we come from. Mm -hmm. All right. And also, oddly enough, you can track Black language in our subject verb agreement all the way back to Africa and to Native American type languages. So essentially how, you know, like when you're doing English versus Spanish, mm -hmm. subject verb agreements change. All right. Mm -hmm. So essentially, when Black people are communicating, they communicate in a certain type of way. Versus white people communicate in a different type of way based upon your background and how you learn. So when you're looking at say sub sub uh, um, uh, when you're looking at testing like the ACT and SAT, the students who do the best are those who are upper middle class white northeastern. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And everyone else does. The further you are away from that, the worse south. score on those exams. Right, right, right. Because right. they're language tests. So when somebody says a person has executive functioning issues, there's a whole lot to look at. Mm -hmm. You know, it, you know, it, it, it means one thing, but there could be multiple layers of the issues that could be going on that cause somebody to come to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. So that's why you need to do your testing and things of that sort. Mm -hmm. And even, of course, us as being uber professionals, we've read a whole lot of white books. Right. So, you know, people will say that, you know, you know, and the race, you know, some of this is racism in itself. You're so articulate. <laughs> you know, you so well, I know. well right. you got to realize how many books have I? I read the books that you read. You don't. Have, you don't have it. You, you've not read more than I've read of you all's type of language. Right, so right. with that comes conditioning, and mm -hmm. honestly, I can tell oddly mm -hmm. enough, and it took a while to figure this out. But honestly, I can. T when it comes to the cadence of this northeastern English, right? 
I read it differently than I would read my own type of writing. I've, it's like a code switch I do in my brain to be able to intake this type of wording simply because the language is just a little is 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 different. So all of that goes into a kid say, somebody saying that this kid has poor executive functioning when it could be many other things. When we're trying to get at a diagnosis for a child and we say, okay, your child needs to be tested, okay? And you are this, you know, black mom uh, and, and mom and dad, and you're now on alert, what y'all trying to say, okay? And so again, what we have to begin to say is that this testing can rule in or out some things. So when we're, the testing that would be oftentimes offered uh, would be, I've heard the psychoeducational exam. Mm -hmm. uh, there's the neuropsych exam. And then sometimes these things can benefit because they can point to your child actually having some auditory, which is what you're saying, even some, I understand there's some cognitive processing issues that your child could have, which could help you uh, understand that your child is not falling behind because of lack of trying, uh, is because there's something there that they can improve upon by having services. And those services don't need to be lasting, uh, but they can at least be followed up as a child particularly goes from elementary to middle school. Uh, yes. What age would you say you can start to see maybe some impairment or mental health issues in children? Maybe the youngest child that you can say, well, you say, well, this is not just in uh, an intellectual problem, we now have to look at some type of uh, psychiatric illness in the child. Well, you know, really when you look at the age, like I said, everybody's at a developmental level. So you can see some of this shortly after birth, you know, depending upon the severity of the impairment, like autism and things of that sort okay. can be seen within days, all right? And then you have those with more subtle, subtle issues. You know, oddly enough, the conversation we're having now, you were sworn you were listening in on a patient that I just talked to on Monday, mm. where essentially this kid was struggling with ADHD, nothing seems to be working, mm. um, and, and, and he was having a lot of behavioral problems, and then, but, but all of things weren't matching correctly, where oh, he would do things, he was, um, this young man had to be, I want to say 13, 13 okay. years all old, right. All right. And, and things weren't a lot of stuff wasn't making sense on why he was doing these type of behaviors. But as I talked to mom, it turns out that, you know, and I asked about a developmental history and she said, well, he was born um, from C-section because it was taking him a while to come down the birth canal. And when they did an ultrasound, they found that the cord was wrapped around his neck. Mm -hmm. Hypoxia. Mm -hmm. Hypoxia. So the thing is that this kid had made it you know, he had having been having problems with ADHD and things of that sort, but I noticed that he was having lapses in memory mm -hmm. and people would assume that he was, uh, you know, lying to them. But the thing is that his lapses in memory would not benefit him at all. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, he, I'm like, you lie in order to get out of trouble, but he doesn't, he's not lying to get out of trouble but he's making up stories. Well, the fact is that because of the hypoxia in the brain that is now starting to show up a little bit more in different areas as he goes into, as he's going from being a child into adolescence is that 
we've missed something along the way. Now we need neuropsych testing to help, to help identify what parts of the brain have been affected. And we need psychoeducational testing. It, does he have a learning disability? Does he have dyslexia? Where you're reading things backwards, or apraxia, or difficulty writing, you know, or, you know, because the fact is that he seems to be intelligent and smart, but he's not able to demonstrate many times what he knows, and he becomes more frustrated yes. uh, because he's not able to do well academically. Mm -hmm. So that need to do that testing to identify what exactly is going on is imperative. And oddly enough, the parent hadn't asked for it. She did know he had some testing before and he did have some psychological testing, which is, is a little bit different, but we needed more. We need, we need to have the battery of tests for learning disabilities, knowing exactly what is wrong so that now we can go back and help retrain the brain to make up for those particular deficits. If you don't do the testing, we'll never be able to get that done. Mm -hmm. So you want to run towards services. It's like realize that testing is quite expensive. You know, yes, that's is. thousands of dollars. Yes. So if somebody says, you know what, we got, you know, I don't know, you can have a Honda Accord or a BMW. And they say, you know what, if you do the testing, we'll give you $5,000 more worth of car inside of your car. Mm -hmm. Well, the fact is that you need to go and get all, that's $5,000 mm -hmm. worth of testing that's going to be done that's set up by the state, the school, trust me, I pay school taxes, they do at the end of the month. I got to pay them again for three, four different properties. <laughs> Go get your testing, but trust me, I put my money in there. But, and then you get specialists right, who right, help right, you right, work right. through those things. Right, and many right. times you can end up in front of your other peers because now you're working on it with a group of specialists who've done the testing mm -hmm. who, who can now give you an advantage. Right. So you don't want to run away from that. Mm -hmm. You want to run to that and you want to now, of course, you got to make sure you protect yourself. Now, even I would say, even in my own house, I remember my daughter was in fifth grade. No, not fifth grade, five years old. And they told us that our daughter was a little bit slower than the other kids. Mm -hmm. And I was like, and you know, who was telling me this was a 17 year old at a daycare. <laughs> Daddy's a child psychiatrist. Mama's a pediatrician. And we have a 17 year old trying to tell us that our child is developmentally behind. Mm. All right. Now, I think that was stoked in racism, yes. you know, you know, and you don't want to be that parent who doesn't believe that something's wrong with your kid. You know, so the fact is that, no, that was not an accurate diagnosis. Mm. And, you know, and, and we did not find the need to follow up with the specialist on right. that. Right. You right. know, we just simply removed our child because oh, oddly right. enough, she had fallen behind developmentally when we switched over to that school. Mm -hmm. And when we came out of that school, everything went back to normal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it's within days. As a physician, you, know. you still have the same struggle uh, as any other parent. How is my child developing? Even with your resources and information, this is my child, and I need to think about her critically. And and uh, and you did. You say we got to move around, and uh, I got to you know see if I should take this information and 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 process it and then reevaluate. So, you know, I just want people to realize as physicians, we 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 have the same struggles too. We want our children to be bright, we want them to have a good experience, and sometimes we have to protect them from 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 the uh the world uh that's seeing them different or otherwise. Um because that could have been very harmful to her self-esteem if you believed uh this person and didn't remove her and said, okay, you know, we're just gonna, we're too busy to be uh, thinking about this issue.
depression. When you're like, when that's something that you alluded to with this child who says, okay, I'm not lying to, to get some type of secondary gain. Uh, I'm making, I'm filling in holes actually because I, it's not processing in my brain fast enough. So I got to tell you something. That's what it sounds like. Um, but we also see yep. that some, so whether you have undiagnosed or diagnosed problems with an adolescent, bottom line is that the frustration of it can lead to depression. And here yes. we are at center stage with a lot of kids right now out of school who are suffering from depression. So um, I don't know if there's a short spill to depression. I think we could probably have, we could talk about this on and on and on. Depression in adolescent. Um, let's just talk about it. I mean, what is your experience? Um, and uh, particularly with black boys, I think parent, we underestimate depression in black male children. Uh, and again, this goes to how they're perceived in the educational system, uh, which is primarily what they're doing. Um, and uh, just your, your, your thoughts about that. You know, I, I would say when it comes to schooling and not performing well and then becoming depressed, we always have to look at, as we've been talking about issues of mental health, be it ADHD, executive functioning, or the young man that I was seeing was having, you know, that I was referring to from earlier this week, was having a lot of mood issues. Uh, and depression in that he was struggling in school, but he did not want to struggle in school. This kid is literally doing everything that he knows to do, but he's diagnosed with ADHD, conduct disorder, like we can't do nothing for this boy. And it turns out that he actually had a brain issue, all right, that from, from childbirth that had never been addressed. And I don't know why nobody ever thought of it, other than he came to see me because I was Black. Uh, he, they were Black, and they, they weren't getting anywhere with where they had been. And a black, their black doctor recommended they see me. So in my mind, I'm not seeing conduct disorder. You're not going to be conduct disorder with me until we rule out ADHD and you know and and other issues that could be going on. So the conduct disorder is you got conduct, conduct disorder, disorder is where you have It's kind of like you're a child adolescent, and we can pretty much throw away the key in that you don't know how to act. You won't know how to act. You actually purposely hurt people, harm people, lie to people, cheat people, uh, and you actually are a, yeah, a seditious individual who goes after people and takes advantage of them. Mm -hmm. And honestly, this kid would do poor decisions and not remember what it would be, and then would have to, he would make up a story that would incriminate himself, and that wasn't even what happened. <laughs> you know, he sees people mad at him, and he thinks he did something wrong. He doesn't remember what it was, and he'll make up a story that wasn't even the story. That may be actually worse than what he did. He just doesn't did not remember. So, mm -hmm. um, so, so the issue becomes when it comes to learning dis learning disorders and learning disabilities and issues like ADHD. I've seen many kids come to me be because of depression, not realizing that it's ADHD, and because and that's because the parents' expectation can be very high. The child may be very smart, very intelligent, but they're not meeting their parents' expectations, nor are they meeting their own expectations. Mm. So I'm struggling in school, but I know the information. Or they may notice that he does, he's not turning in his homework, but he does well on his test. And so that struggle of knowing that I'm not doing well despite wanting to do well, now I'm starting to question my future. And now I'm starting to get, to get despair. I'm feeling helpless. The situation is hopeless because I cannot pass these tests. I'm frustrated and angry, and that can lead to symptoms of depression.
So we have to do a full examination of what's going on whenever we see depression. Now, you can have depression with nothing else going on. You know, like there's no trouble in school. You can focus and pay attention. You just have depression. But whenever we're looking at learning issues and depression, we must make sure that we've looked at what all could be going on with that particular learning issue. One thing that I will bring up is the increased rate of uh, risk of uh, suicide in Black youth young kids, five to nine years old and adolescents, mm -hmm. all right? You're seeing these numbers go up. And one of the key factors that they found is that the younger the suicide, the less likely it is due to depression and the more likely it is due to a learning disability or ADHD. Mm. Because for a student, for a six-year-old, seven-year-old, school is your whole life. Right. That's what you do all day. Mm -hmm. And you're failing at everything that you do for eight hours of a day of the day. You get older, you got homework, and you're failing at the homework. And you know you're going to fail when you get back to school because you didn't get it done right. You, you missed the instructions. You didn't understand what was going on. And it's even more frustrating for people with an elevated IQ. Mm -hmm. So the higher your IQ with the learning disability increases your risk of actually committing suicide. Mm -hmm. And so th these are things that are not something that, and too often I see us as people, will brush it to the side. But no, this has to be addressed and addressed early because essentially if I struggle in the first and second grade and the third grade, then what am I going to do in the fifth grade? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so we have to make sure that we're addressing this. And one other thing I'll add is that for kids who have ADHD, too often I, I, people, we don't pay attention to what, what too often too often we don't pay attention to what kids do well. Oh, okay, that's a good point. We'll look at where they struggle, but we don't look at where they do well at. Mm -hmm. So the fact is that kids, people with ADHD, about one in 20 people have ADHD. Mm -hmm. And I tell folk that in itself, I don't call consider ADHD to be an abnormal, abnormality. I look at it more so as being a person who learns differently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So ADHD individuals on average learn quicker than the general population, mm -hmm. but they do it in short spurts. So if I get your attention, I can give you a lot of information real fast mm -hmm. and they got it. But realizing the other 19 kids in this class don't learn that way. Mm -hmm. They learn over the, over the next 45 minutes. <laughs> so if you caught the first five minutes of what the teacher wanted, mm -hmm. but you lost the last 40. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. But also with ADHD, the more you enjoy the topic, the more you lock in. Right. So oddly enough, ADHD individuals will hyper-focus on what they like. Mm -hmm. And they will do better than the average person on something that they like or enjoy. Mm -hmm. All right? So if they have a passion towards it, they work all day and all night on it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so, to, so if you can find the passion for what the person likes, let's exploit those things. Mm -hmm. So if they like football, or if they like drawing, or mm -hmm. if they like reading books or writing books or computer programming, those individuals can do very well once they walk out of the classroom, all right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, we have to understand that some people learn differently, and we need to be able to make those accommodations, but those accommodations typically won't be made if you don't do the testing and get the diagnosis correct. Mm -hmm. My question to you is, um, you know, the world just doesn't work where you can you know, do it at your own pace. And so again, it goes back to the question, these kids uh, can start to feel frustrated and uh, to become disengaged. And then we're gonna go ahead and, you know, kind of, you know, lead you to, to a hot topic that I know we could also talk on forever. 
then we see that our children begin to, once they become disengaged, black, white, Latino, uh, from the school process, which is really what they need to do, like I said, for eight hours a day, and they feel like a failure, then becomes the vices whereby you find another adolescent to engage in mischievous stuff. And where do we go? Down and towards the juvenile system or the parent starts you know, paying for consequences um, uh, for bad choices. And, those, you know, they, and the bad choices can range from minor to very severe and end up with lifelong consequences. Hence, we have uh, black men and young women now entering the penal system. So, yeah. you know, uh, the question becomes uh, distinctly the role of medication and our fear of medication. Uh, and when would you say, uh, this is an adolescent I have to give some medication to? Well, you know, the fact is this, if, if realize that ADHD is correctable. 95% mm -hmm. of the time, maybe 98. So if you're having difficulty thinking and concentrating and locking in on the information and having issue with education, that is correctable. You don't, you don't have to have that. Now, what I will tell individuals is that not treating means that if we're having behavioral issues that is getting, getting us pulled out of the classroom, mm -hmm. now we're not with the regular group of kids. We're the kids who got pulled out. Mm -hmm. And now you're, you know, and it's kind of like, uh, you know, birds of a feather flock together. So now that your kids are not in the regular classroom, now they're picking up the behaviors of these kids around them. Mm -hmm. So it's actually shown that if you have ADHD and you're not treated, you actually have worse life outcomes than somebody who is treated for ADHD. Mm -hmm. So anytime that they're pulling your kid, I remember being told a story where a parent said, uh, no, he's not doing well and he failed again this year. You know, and he got picked up by juvenile, but at least he's not on that medication. <laughs> and I'm like, let's say that again. Yeah, yeah. Say that one more time. At least he's not on, but that's okay. Like, what is your norm? Mm. You know, what is the norm in your family and your home? Realizing that these things are, are correctable and not getting treatment puts you at higher risk for drug abuse, for f sliding down the socioeconomic ladder and causing you to struggle when that does not need to be the case. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you know, the thing is that, you know, men like you, uh, black male psychiatrists are rare, uh, accessing mental health uh, providers is rare and it's even getting harder now that we have COVID. And, I, and, and if these kids, again, uh, moving in towards the summer still don't have access to school and constructive things, you know, your profession is gonna be overwhelmed. We talk about the ERs, your profession is going to be overwhelmed. And my question is, um, you know, what, what, are, what is the practice doing to uh, make sure the kids who have ADHD or uh, depression, uh, combination thereof, are supported during this time? Well, you know, there's a third pandemic of mental health that we're not talking about. Because okay. of the news cycles and everything that's going on, mental mm -hmm. health is not being covered. So right, right. now we got, you know, you know, cools in, in, in DC and craziness. We've got COVID going on, but we're leaving out that suicides are up across the country. They are. It's up across the country. Accidental overdoses from alcohol and things of that sort are up around the country. So, you know, people are truly, are truly, truly stressed out. And you're seeing this go to our kids. So, you know, I'm full. You know, so essentially you call me, you know, many days and I may not be taking patients. Mm -hmm. 
because I can only see so many people in a day, you know, because of fatigue and needing to take care of my own, my own mental health, you know, and my own family and my own, my own needs. I can't see people 24 hours a day, mm. you know, but most psychiatrists, if you are willing to stay about 24 hours a day, you will see them 24 people, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm. So, so the thing is that it is difficult to access services and it's even harder to find a black male. The truth though, is that keep calling. You can get in to see someone and there are other good doctors other than black, black doctors for black people. If you're not comfortable with the doctor that you have, keep looking around. I tell sometimes when it comes to mental health, it's kind of like, it's like trying to find the right pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. You know, if you wear a size nine and a half, not all nine and a half fit you. Mm-hmm. So it's okay if that doctors are not, not a good fit to move on to the next one. So mm-hmm. it can take time to get in, but you can get in. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and it's important to be persistent. Now, when you're trying to find a black doc, that, 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 that that's gotten, you know, more difficult. Right. And to find a black male doing psychiatry is, is even more but we are out there and you know, if you seek us out, if you look hard enough, normally you can find us, but you normally can get in to see someone. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing with this, with what's going on, accessing inpatient services has been a lot more difficult because right. of the need to socially distance. But you know, when it comes to uh, also, you have this social media platform right. and doctors doing telemedicine. So at that point, it is a little bit more accessible because now you don't have to physically see me in my office. You know, I only have a, a license in the state of Texas, but you can be in Laredo, Texas and see me in the office now. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have many patients that, you know, for this past year, but I've never seen them face to face. Right, right, right. You know, um, you know so the mm-hmm. fact is that in some ways it's more difficult, but a lot of ways it's actually, it, it actually can be a bit easier to get in to see someone as well. Okay. Well, you know, you and I, like I said, we'll talk all night (laughs) and I want to talk again to you. So I'm not going to wear out my welcome. (laughs) It's good to catch up with you. It really is. And I'm so, I'm just so happy. Like I said, I just want to remind, you know, you that I saw you as this brother said, I am going to do child and adolescent psychiatry, period, point blank. You knew what you wanted to do. And here we are 17 years later and you're still doing it and you still have passion about it. So, I, I mean, I thank you. And uh, I just really want to, I'm going to be working with Morgan State to build out a, plat, a, a mental health platform. And I hope you can uh, make room to, to be a consultant and talk uh, to me um, as we continue to try to build this for uh, this HBCU. You know, Morgan State here in uh, the Baltimore area, yeah, um, yeah. they have a school of public health and uh, they'll be giving me an intern. And one of the projects I want them to do is focus on mental health. So hopefully we can uh, have another area and an educational school, uh, site that actually can um, uh, help us uh, promote uh, the needs of uh, mental health uh, awareness and improvement in the black community. So that's my new ba- passion and mission with along with Uzima, okay? You know what? And I would say that I, I greatly appreciate the work that you're doing. You know, it's great to see you again. It's been many years. <laughs> and, I, and, and, and to see your platform that you're working on and with the students of Morgan State, you know, you've always had passion. You've always been in the middle of everything. <laughs> and so much. I appreciate you giving me a platform to be able to speak on. And, okay. and thank you so much. I appreciate okay. it. All right. Tell the family hello. Okay. God bless. All right. Same to you. Same All to right, you. Talk to you. Bye-bye.